morning. I also want to thank you for uh, praying for me uh, for the conference that I had recently taken with InterVarsity. Um, I just um, received an email from the, the, um, the staff there that God has started a work of tremendous hunger among the students there. And it's a move of God. And, and she said, please pray for that, that the hunger will continue because it's just grown. She also said that um, in a separate uh, communication that there was this woman that had been uh, had, having a hemorrhaging uh, for uh, at least three or four months. And, um, and I had spoken a word about, uh, about that. And I had spoken it on Friday and uh and she came for prayer and uh on saturday evening she had gone to the uh, the restroom four times already and she says for the first time i have not been bleeding you know i've not been bleeding praise god by sunday uh, by sunday afternoon she came up to me and says i still have not been bleeding and so uh, a few days ago i just got a, a card from this uh, area director and she says she says that um, she's gone to the doctor the doctor said that inexplicably she's been she's better yeah she's not bleeding so praise god continue to pray for that i believe there is a move of god among these colleges there are uh, cal state colleges as well as uh, junior colleges as well yeah um, i'd like to uh, continue from where we left off last week we looked at Psalm 81, Psalm 81, and Psalm 81 is, is, a, is a psalm that is in some ways a little sad because it talks about what could have happened to the nation of Israel and, uh, and what God had offered. And so what we as a, another, as, a, as a congregation now looking back over the years can learn from this psalm is that we can actually not be in the same position as the children of Israel who God said, this, this could have happened, this would have happened. Oh, that you had listened to me. We can actually listen to, to, that, to, to the Lord and actually not make the same mistake as, uh, as Israel. It says, uh, let's see, Psalm 81. Uh, and we'll not read the whole thing. Verse 6 onwards, I relieved your shoulder of the burden, referring to the slavery in Egypt. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder, and I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Um, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And so you have in verse 10 the intention of God that He wants to give us more. There must be more than this. We sang that, yeah? And do you notice that while we are worshipping, there's a sense of God's burden to want to actually give us more and cause us to hunger more. So we stir it up. Ask God to stir it up in our hearts. So there's something that the Lord is speaking during the worship that I feel is consonant with uh, what we are talking about here. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And we want to talk about how we can do that, right? 
so that we can have more of what God has for us. Why should we be spiritual beggars when actually we can be kings and priests with God? Yeah? Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. And I think that's a really sad thing that God actually can give us over to our will. Have, your own way, have it your own way. To follow the, after their own counsels. So basically he's saying that the history of Israel really was a history in which in the main, they were following their own counsels. They were condemned to follow their own counsel, counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before, before Him, and their fate would last forever. But I would feed you, or I would, He would have feed, fed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. And that God, God was saying, this, this, this is a would have, could have situation with Israel. I could have given you more. You, your life could, be very, could have been very different from, from this. And we, we notice that when the children of Israel were in e- Egypt, they were crying out to the Lord to set them free from slavery. And he says that, I, un- I, I set your shoulder from, free from the burden. I did that. I answered your prayer. But I also answered you in the secret place of thunder. And I also uh, tested you in the waters of Meribah. It's almost as if God said, God says, I'm answering you with more than what you asked for. Open your mouth wide, because I have more, more than just the answers to your prayer. And so we've been looking at this, right? How God enlarges us, opens our mouth, gives us more, sets us up for more that He has for us. And uh, I'd like to continue talking about that, because this is really crit- critical, because God is actually wanting to transform us, so that we can receive more of Him. Yeah? Um, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, I'm going to just go over just a few of the verses that we were looking. God answered, him in the, answered them in the secret place of thunder and tested them in the waters of Meribah. So we, we spent a bit of time talking about that incident where God revealed himself to them. In chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying to the children of Israel, recounting all that had happened before, in the past 40 years or so. Right? And God had called the children of Israel up to the mountain and they, 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 they gathered around the perimeter of the mountain. Moses went up and uh, stood bet- be- between um, the children of Israel and God. So he stood on the, on the, on the foot of the mountain. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 4, verse 11, And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. That's how hot God's love is for us, right? Wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. It's funny how we were speaking about how when God comes, there is a certain gloom that comes. Not, that because, not because God is gloomy, but because of the fact that He is so pure, He is holy, and His fire is so great, that it brings up our own inadequacy. It brings up our own impurity before Him. It can't help it. It's not because God is malicious, but because of the fact that God is, can't help being God. Yeah? He is so pure and holy, it calls that out. We saw that that happened with Peter, when, God, when Jesus revealed who He was in the boat after they had caught fish in the net, and then the, and the nets broke, Peter said, depart from me, for I am an unclean man. Son, suddenly he realized who, where he stood. And there's something about the gloom of God's presence that shows us who he is as he is. Yeah? 
and he came in the cloud and the gloom. Verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. But saw no form. Okay? That means you didn't see him. He is beyond what can be reduced to a, a visual. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he com com commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And God commanded me at that time to teach you, statu you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going to over to possess. And then it says here again in verse 15, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. So he says you did not see anything. And you must not corrupt yourself by making a carved image of me. You cannot reduce me to some metaphor. You cannot reduce me to something that can be seen, that is limited. Corruption is the degradation of something high into something low. Correct? You do not act corruptly. That means don't make something that is pristine, that something that is sublime into something that is lower than that. And so, chapter 4 of Deuteronomy focuses on the fact that God cannot be seen. He can only be discerned. He can only be heard. Okay? He emphasizes, you cannot see me. If you see me, if you think you see me, you're seeing something lower because that can be seen through the, with the eyes. Correct? Alright, so he says, don't ever do that. Don't ever try to make God something smaller. Your analogies are not worthy of me, that's he saying. And the human beings will always want to reduce God into something more comfortable, more perceptible. But what you see is not really God. What you're seeing is something that you projected onto God. And God says, don't do that. Watch yourself that you don't do that. Verse 19, and he says, Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, which are awesome things, definitely awesome, right? All the hosts of heaven, you will be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance, as you are this day. And so, chapter 4 emphasizes the fact that God cannot be seen, must not be reduced. And there's a certain discomfort in that, don't you find? When you're looking to God, you're, 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 when you can't see anything, all you see is gloom, all you see is darkness, all you see is nothing. And what God was wanting to do to the children of Israel was to reveal Himself as close to how He really is, rather than by some small miniature of God. And so God says, be careful that you don't forget that I cannot be made into an image. I cannot be reduced into that. No matter how awesome that is, no matter how awesome the sun, moon and stars are, I cannot be reduced to that. You cannot take something that you can comfortably imagine and project that onto me. Okay? The only way in which you can get in touch with me is if I redeem you, I change you, I change your eyes, I change your heart, your mind and everything, and cause you to be opened up right now, which you are not. 
The only way in which I can be apprehended or received by you is if you allow me to transform you. Okay? Because it will take a redemption. It will take a redemption of your corrupt body because the fall has done that has done something to you to make you not able to interface with that which is sublime, which is of God, right? You need healing. But you must not, as you go through the years, allow your, your, your descendants to make images of me. So there may be certain things that we like about God, but we like, about it, like Him in, in a certain form that is comfortable. Yeah? Now, I appreciate the fact, so for example, that God is my Father. Yes? May I say He's my Daddy? I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable about saying that. My Daddy God. But I can understand how when people feel the love of God, it's, just, it's like my Daddy. If you've got a good Daddy, then fine. But you must not reduce Him to that. He's not your Daddy God. He's far, far greater than that. He cannot be reduced to be a, to be a warm, cuddly, fuddly thing. Okay? You, can, you cannot. It may make you feel good, but it is not God. Amen? You may find it relatable, but in order for you to have a revelation of God, you've got to discard that. And it is discomforting. It's uncomfortable to be real. Because when you let go of your teddy bear God, you don't have anything. True? So when God brought them up to the, nation, the, 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 the mountain, He says, I really want to be close to you. But because I am so awesome and I'm, I'm God, it's dangerous for you. And He comes in the darkness and the gloom. The darkness is not the absence of light, but it's the superabundance of light to such an extent that you can't see yeah, you're blinded by that so, that so that it looks like a darkness. You know, I've shared how astronauts have said that as they, they, they break out of the Earth's atmosphere where the, the light is so pure, it's so abundant, what they see is just like a darkness. Not because there's no light, but because there's a super abundance of light. Does that make sense? So we've got to understand that when God says, I want to increase your apprehension of me, I will have to take you into the darkness so that even though you don't have those comfortable things that make you feel, oh, God is nice, warm, and fuzzy, and He's so real to me, you are actually experiencing me as you really are, as I really am. Amen? Yeah? Okay. There's something about our eyes that make it get un uncomfortable. And then we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm not going to turn to it, where, and they, as, they, as they began to hear the voice of God, it was thundering, it was so sh earth shattering. It just shattered everything inside them. And they said, I can't take it, we can't take it. Moses, you speak to God. We don't want God to speak to us directly. You speak to God. You be an intermediary because you're nice. You're, not, you're more fuzzy and nice. You're nice, Moses. God is a nice. You are nice. So we'd rather have not God, but you. You become our God for us. Okay, that's Deuteronomy chapter 5. Yeah. There is something about God that is uncomfortable. 
And I want to say that actually, when God says, open your mouth wide, that I will fill it. He's inviting us into a real closeness with Him. But we need our eyes to be healed. Because we don't only see with our eyes. We see with our heart, we see with our pride, we see with our insecurities, and we see with our limitations as well. True? Okay. So I want to give you a little analogy from football or soccer. So I'm going to put up a picture so that you know this guy. Does anybody recognize this person? This person is the first ever superstar, international superstar in soccer. Before there was Pele, before there was Bobby Moore, Bobby, Bobby Charlton, before there was Georgie Best, before there was anyone, before there was Ronaldo, there was this man. His name is Pushkas. He's a Hungarian, he's a Hungarian footballer. And he was the, probably the greatest soccer player. He's a midfielder, attacker, attacking midfielder. He scored in all his international um, um, matches for, for Hungary, 84, out of, 84 goals out of 85 games. That is crazy, right? Nobody has ever done that. Nobody has ever done that. Okay. Anyway, I, I won't say too much about it. How many of you have heard of George Best? All right. We won't won't say about what era you lived in. George Best was Northern Ireland's greatest, greatest soccer player. Greatest soccer player. Played the number 11 shirt inside left. And uh, played for Manchester United. Together with Bobby Charlton, Dennis Law. George Best was probably the first uh, British player who was a celebrity. Dribbling skills are legendary. He's at least still alive. But when in his day, when I was as a kid watching soccer, he was magic. He was magic. Yeah, handsome guy too. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but but since we're in America, let's just say that. So George Best, after they had, you know, they have finished their, their uh, soccer career, he tells a story about how he, Bobby Charlton, Dennis Law, and Puskas were coaching in a football academy in Australia. Okay? So this uh, football academy was an elite football academy, the best young <coughs> players in Australia. So this would have been probably the 70s or, or 80s. Maybe nine, actually, maybe in the 90s, yeah. The youngsters we were coaching did not respect Pushkas. They, and they kept on making fun of his weight and his age. We decided to let the guys challenge a coach to hit the crossbar 10 times in a row. Okay. So you take a, take, take a shot from behind the penalty spot and you try to hit the crossbar uh, from where you are sitting. Okay. 
we decided to let the guys challenge a coach to hit the crossbar 10 times in a row. Obviously, they picked the old fat one. Dennis Law asked the kids how many they thought the old fat coach would get out of 10. Most said less than 5. George Best said 10. The old fat coach stepped up and hit 9 in a row. For the 10th shot, he scooped the ball in the air, bounced it off both shoulders and his head, then flicked it over with his, with his heel and cannoned the ball over the crossbar on the volley. They all stood in silence, and one kid asked who he was. I replied, says George Best, to you, his name is Mr. Puskas. Isn't that satisfying? He was the greatest top division scorer of the 20th century, according to the IFFHS. He scored actually a total of 804 goals in 793 official games. It's amazing, right? He led Hungary to win the Olympics, and then he led Hungary to the finals of the um, World Cup. And he led his, uh, his team, Real Madrid, to several European championships, which are the equivalent to the um, Cham Champions League. Okay. What am I trying to say? There are ways in which we look at things with a heart that needs to be redeemed. You can't look and know everything. And what God is saying is, is there are much more rich depths that I want for you than what you can see. What you can see is impaired by the fall, by your brokenness. It's very interesting that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, they, they had an aversion to the glory of God. They had an aversion to the glory. They, they moved away from the glory of God. Just like Peter said, depart from me, I can't take it. I would put it to you that since the fall, we have an aversion to things that are really glorious. We are actually afraid of things that are glorious. There is something that makes us react to glorious things and glory. Psalm, Psalm 97 says, darkness is all around God when He comes. And the fall has detached our connection to glory and keyed us into a comfort of our own making. So we'd be rather more comforted in something less glorious than things that are of glory. We create our own safe haven in which we are free to do what we want and in which we are at the top in that safe haven because we feel uncomfortable with real glory. Let's say you. That's why Peter says, depart from me. That's why Moses stood between God and the, and the people. And when the people rejected God, God said, now I want you to not stand between me and the people. I want you to stand next to me. This is where you should be, not between me and your people. Don't be an intermediary. But you stand by me, they said. There's this aversion to glory that we 
we suffer from. That is why a lot of times we feel uncomfortable in the presence of someone who's really, really, really good. We don't want to feel inferior. That's why some people feel uncomfortable with things that are really good or people that are really good. A lot of times we'd rather be with people who are less good than us. That makes us feel more comfortable. We have learned how to create a place around ourselves that is more comfortable but inferior. And we have been unplugged somehow from glory. When Adam and Eve were created, they were filled with the glory of God. They were, they were covered with the glory of God. And when they sinned, that glory was left and they felt uncomfortable with God. So maybe what we can call, name our sermon today is the discomfort of discomfort. Or we are uncomfortable with, comfort, with, with uncomfortableness. Something about that that makes us go away from it. What say you? We'd rather have an alternate scenario. And because of that, we become weakened. We choose our own environment. And it's not an environment that will enlarge us or that will open our mouth wide. We feel more comfortable making fun of Pushkas because he's an old fat man than we would like to be. But God wants to do something. He wants to bring us through as a certain amount of discomfort in order for us to see Him. Because He wants us to know Him as He really is. We would like to have a reduced form of God, which is more safe, more, more cuddly. Little cuddly, waddly God. Yeah. Doesn't do anything. But we don't have a revelation of God. We've got a simplistic idea of God. According to the favorite verses that we have that talk about nice things about God. Yeah? But there is something uncomfortable about Him that God wants us to, he to be healed of. We've been, we've been unplugged from the glory of God and we've plugged ourselves into comfort. That is why our environment is all about making things comfortable. That is why, whether it's in schools or in society at large, we would rather be plugged into comfortable things. And we've created te technology and systems to make us, to help us to stay within that comfort zone. What say you? But there's something in us that seems not satisfied by that, right? I, I can tell you something happened when after I graduated. I joined this church, church movement, and we planted 35 churches within a very short space of time. Tremendous. The power of God was among this group of people. But I began to realize that this church had two kinds of streams that were going on. One is the stream that came out of poverty. The, 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 the senior pastor, or the, the founder actually, uh, came out of this small town called Malacca. And he was... He had a hard life. He had a very hard life. 
and actually, I think he, had, he needed inner healing to some extent. Okay, to some extent. Not, I don't want to over, over, overblow that. But he was a hard person to work with because he's all blood and guts. When I looked at him, he did not give me the kind look. He looked at me as if he was looking straight at me, straight through me, sorry. So honestly, most people were afraid of him. And then there was this other group. They were graduates from college in New Zealand, and they had come from a Christian fellowship in New Zealand. They were much more human. They were much more comfortable to be with. And they kept on asking me, join us. Join us. And I was very hungry for the Lord at that time. I was maybe 22 years old. And, uh, but this other group that came from Malacca that were very powerful prophetic people and signs and wonders, and they, they knew God. They knew God in His fearful symmetry, so to speak. If you use Blake's uh, Tiger, Tiger Burning Bright. They... He, they knew God and they were very accurate in their prophecies. Their mood, their, 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 it's awesome, you know. When they worshipped the Lord, many of them who had been persecuted, they had been slapped around, they had been uh, uh, violently persecuted. When they worshipped, the, the worship was so deep and so profound, you cannot help crying. At the end of every worship service, which would last for maybe two and a half hours, we were all emotionally <laughs> drained. Because God was in the midst. It was just almost like we couldn't take the presence of God, right? But he was not a a good person, a a nice fuzzy person to be with. When he looked at you, he looked straight at you. He always looked at you as if there's something wrong with you. Made me feel very uncomfortable. And I never dared to look look at him in the face. But when I went to the other churches, these New Zealand graduates, I feel so comfortable. I feel the love of God. I feel... The love of God in a, a kind of a cuddly, waddly way, you know. And I so wanted to join them, but the Lord said, no, you join Him. And it was in this place, the discomfort of it fought against my desire to really know God and to really be used by God. But my, my, my discomfort with discomfort with those piercing eyes, with those questions that he will ask, as if he, whenever he spoke to me, he, it's almost that he knew the answer already. So I had to work hard on not giving him an answer that was inaccurate. Have you ever talked to somebody? He asks you a question, and he knows the answer better than you know the answer. And you're still just working on I make sure I tell him the, the truth. Is this the truth? I don't even know. <laughs> he walked right through me, pierced right through me. But I wanted God. And so I joined them. Here was our schedule. We woke up at 4.30. We make breakfast with everybody in the house. And we finish making breakfast by 5.30. We do our devotions at 5.30. We write down our devotions. We give it in. we, We hand it in. And they read it to us. He read it to me. And every time I did, did my, my devotions, I wrote it down. I would second guess myself. Is this really what I think God's speaking? Or am I just saying it to impress Him? Or to be on the right side of Him? I did not know. I was at sixes and sevens. I had no idea. But it, 
this is the kind of environment I had. I, I don't recommend that recommend, uh, environment, but I just want you to know to understand how discom- discomforting it felt. Yeah. But I grew. I was corrected again and again and again and again. And thank God for that correction. Because if I was not going to be corrected, I would not grow. But many people would not want to correct me. They did not want to correct me. They had the charismatic gifts, but they did not want to correct me because they didn't want conflict. They didn't want the discomfort. So these other people did not want conflict, uh, discomfort either. So we played this game, right? And they would always affirm me, always be accepting and all that. And then I would go back to this other person. I won't mention his name. I'll just call him Drac. I will go back to Drac. And Drac would speak to me so seriously that I felt, you know me, why do I, why do I even ask, ask any question, answer any questions for you? But I grew. I grew, I grew, I grew. I realized that I wanted an easy God. The God for the babies. And you know, a lot of times when we first come to God, He heals us, He blesses us, He does wonderful things. Right? And then we hear of this other side of God that allows us to suffer a bit. That demands our, our, our holiness. And there's a lot of discomforting things about it. We get persecuted and all that kind of stuff. And you end up thinking this God is schizoid. There's a good side of God and there's a bad side of God. As if these hard things are bad side of God. The thing is this, God is against evil. And He wants to raise me up so that I can be a person who can defeat evil. And for that to happen, He has to train me. Not because there's a bad side of Him, but because He's all good. He's so good that He's against evil. Amen? Which brings us to the second part of uh, Psalm 81, which has to do with the waters of Meribah. So if you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 17, we will finish our, our thing that we had begun last Sunday on the waters of Meribah. And I'm going to read the whole incident. You ready? I'm actually reading from the ESV. Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Raphidim, which is a place of springs, but the springs were dried up. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You see how their eyes were seeing things? Their eyes were impaired. Actually, their vision was impaired. 
And the only way in which they could actually see is not to see with their eyes, which are infected by their fallenness, by their brokenness, but to actually hear from God. Right? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now you can't see me. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you I'll be, I'll be standing on the rock. You can hear me speaking to you, but you can't see me. Yeah? And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. There is this critical margin of time that I'd like us to talk about. This critical margin of time in which how we respond to discomfort is very decisive. It's not a long period of time, but it is an appointed period of time in which Moses at that time was in the same boat as all the rest of the children of Israel seeing with his, his physical eyes, not knowing what to do, hearing from them, and receiving grief from them. And what was happening was that God was going to open his mouth wide so that the structure of his own personality will be bigger, more able to receive God. And this is what happens for us. We do experience these critical moments of time in which in that time, God is going to actually heal us. He's going to transform us. And He will take us through a certain margin of time in which there is this discomfort. And Moses could have done any, any of a number of things. But Moses decided, okay, I'm going to wait upon God. He says he's going to be ahead. And the first thing he had to do was to pass over his people. That means get past the people. He has to somehow not have his eyes open to what the people were saying. It's discomforting. It is uncomfortable. Because you don't have anybody on your side, you see. You don't have anybody to affirm you or to talk to you and to say, yeah, you're doing the right thing, good for you. He would, I'm sure, have liked to create this comfortable environment in which he would have more encouragement. But that encouragement would not have enlarged him, would not have gotten him past his blindness to God. What was needed was a period of time in which God will mold into him the sense of God's reality and his presence. And sometimes we go through that. That is an important part of what God is doing. You have no idea, you can't see anybody who can be the answer to you to you, but you are also averse to discomfort as well. And you want to get out of the situation real fast. Or like Peter says, depart from me. And you want to do that. And I want to put it to you that there is times in which God is enlarging us so that we will see not the God that's a reduced form of fuzzy-wuzzy God, but the God who is unfathomable, unseeable, a God that's beyond that. Once you get into that God, you will function in miracles. Because miracles do not lie within the realm of what can be seen, 
but just outside that. And what God wants to do is to take us outside of that realm. That is why we go through so many things in which we can't see any way out. We are averse to this. The fall has done that. It's unplugged us from glory and put us into something that is less glorious but more comfortable. We want that. We want people to affirm us. We want to, 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 to do that. And what we do is that we create that for other people as well. We create these comfort zones. Yeah? They're not sober. But they're all about massaging each other so that everybody feels good about it. But it doesn't draw us to God. And what God's wanting to do is to actually bring us to this place in which it is a bit uncomfortable. There is some pain there. But that pain partly arises from the fact that you don't know where God is. You don't know what, uh, uh, what He's going to do. You will grasp at things that will say, give you an answer. You know, God is here. See, you can see Him there. But it's not God. It's a simplistic form of God. It's a baby form of God. It's a God who is like, according to your own, it's amenable to your own, your own desires and all that. And it will make you comfortable, but it will not give you God. Because God wants you to be beyond that, some bigger than that. I know it's difficult here. But this is the way, the way God is enlarging us. He's allowing us to see things that cannot be seen. And therefore, experience the discomfort of confusion. And realizing that what we have tried to make God into is not God. What say you? Give you another example. When I was in England, in uh, junior high and high school, I did really well in school. Everybody thought I was a smart guy. And then it came time for my dad to finish his PhD, and we all came back from London and went to school in Malaysia. And because my dad knew the headmaster of the school that I went to, it was called Victoria Institution, in which what they did was they picked the top three students for every elementary school boys, and they put them in the school. So the standards academic were really high. And my dad said, good news, Michael. You get to be in VI. I said, no. No. Those boys from my own school, they beat me by, a lot, by miles. They were so much better than me. So we went. And my dad forced me to join this school. The first day, my, 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 my knees were shaking. My dad brought me in. Immediately after that, the prefect came and said, you parked in the wrong place. I'm going to have to give you essay to write as a punishment. My first day in school, totally intimidated, very uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. And I looked at all the boys there in my class. All of them had glasses. I said, this is intimidating. And my first, first year in that, I did terribly. I did terribly. The worst thing is that the headmaster would come in and he would give us our report, card, report books. 
So we had report books there. And they had all our grades in there. And he would bring a cane. And for every red mark that means that you failed, you get one stroke. Because I was new, he, gave, he let me off. And he was my father's friend as well. So a little bit of corruption there. But God had me there. I realized my aversion to high standards. I didn't do well. I felt very uncomfortable among people who are smarter than me. Does that make sense? We don't like that. And there's something about us in our own fallen and broken image of ourselves that wants to run away from glory from glory. When I was in England, I was the top badminton player. Do you know what badminton is? Not badminton, but badminton. Badminton. Actually, badminton was a very popular American sport in the 1930s. I was the top badminton player in England. Then I came and joined VI. And VI were the state champions and then later the national champions. I was too embarrassed to even pick up a badminton racket. It made me feel uncomfortable. But I knew there was something inside me that felt uncomfortable, not just because of the fact that they were better than me, but I don't like that feeling. I'm not plugged into excellence. I'm not plugged into that. Does that make sense? And it makes me feel uncomfortable. Children of Israel felt uncomfortable. But God was giving them a margin of time in which there is a certain amount of discomfort, of unknowing, that God says, I want you to walk through that small passage because when you do that, you will see things you've never seen before. And I will enlarge you and I will make your eyes see things that you've never seen before. And that was what Moses was going to do. So the first thing is pass on before the people. That means get past people's opinions of you. Take the staff with you. That means the staff with which I have done miracles through you. It will be like what Psalm 23 says, my rod and my staff, they comfort me. Not people, but they will comfort me. The staff, the things that God has done, it will comfort me. And then bring the elders. That makes you uncomfortable because of the fact that they'll see whether you fail or not fail. But that's part of it. Does it make sense? I want to just place us, see, position us as a church into this place where we are on the verge of great things happening. But there's this little margin, this little space in which God's saying, I'm going to transform you there. Everything happened depends upon how you traverse this crucial place. And there are times in which you just have to close your eyes and look to me. Because if you close your eyes and look to me and not look to this comforting place that you are trying to make for yourself and all that, or you're trying to make for each other, you will know me. You will not know the simplified version, the baby version of God. You will have not the baby version of the Bible. You will have the Bible. Does that make sense? And that is something that is hard. But what it will do is that it will humble us. It will make us come to a place where we don't look to what people think about us. Yeah? Praise God. And that's what He has for us. All of us are going through something like that 
in which you can't really see what's going on. But the main thing is, don't just look to people. Walk past what everybody else's experience is. Don't look at other people's experience. Don't look at the news and see what happened to them when this person, when he was in a similar situation as I. Don't do, don't do that. That, way, that. That may not even apply to you. Does that make sense? When I first found out that I had cancer, I, I, was, I was obsessed by the internet, looking at all those who had the same PSA as I had. I realized the Lord was speaking to me, don't, you look to me. Don't look to uh, all the case studies, right? Because I am the one who matters, who makes all the difference. None of the internet articles that you, you're reading. I still read a few. <laughs> but I was bringing back to God. Amen? So I want to say that many of us are in this position. I want to allow, give us a chance as we bow our heads in prayer. Just talk to God right now. Talk to God right now. I would want to get out of it. That's my nature. My old nature. It's natural. To respond in the usual way to our discomfort with discomfort. But God wants to plug us in back to glory. To move in a realm in which God does amazing things. Praise you, Lord. What situation do you face in which your eyes in their fallen state cannot help but making you feel depressed or hopeless? The Lord is in this margin of time. Take up the rod that comforts you with the comfort of God. Go past the people. Hallelujah. Wherever you are, whatever situation you are, we're going to pray a prayer, giving it back to God. Lord, we come before you and we invite you to be our comfort. We look to no other comfort but you. We want to be filled with you. We want to know you. Not know you through simplified diagrams or through baby pictures. We want to know you as you really are. What a great thing that you offer yourself to us. For some of you, God is saying, come to church regularly. Come to church. And if you can, don't just go on Zoom. Come to church. It's uncomfortable, but there's more for you. For some, God is saying, Allow the discomfort of giving 
to act upon you because I will show you how I will bless you. For some, God is saying, speak the truth in love. Don't be uncomfortable with that. Yes, you feel uncomfortable, but speak the truth in love because if you don't, you will never be used by God. You will never destroy the works of the devil. For some, God is saying, seek people of quality. Don't run from them. If you have a hunger for God, seek that person. Seek people who can help you. Seek the best that you can find. Chase after them. Even if if it is uncomfortable for them, you go through the discomfort of that. Don't go for the New Zealand one. Go for the, the more excellent one. Let the hunger and the fire be stirred up within you. Go through and don't be afraid of the discomfort, the awkwardness of potential rejection. Come out of the comfort zone. Come out of the comfort, comfortable alternative. In an age when our society has been degraded to have very little tolerance of discomfort, very little strength in the midst of that, the Lord is doing an opposite thing. He's taking us through times of discomfort that will pull out our real hunger for God. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I do believe that the Lord is speaking to us wherever we are. Just one thing. And God speaks a lot of times, it's just not a lot of things, just one or two things. Let it settle. If you need to be mentored and you feel the desire to be mentored, go and ask for it. You can come to me and ask for any recommendations if you like. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Enlarge us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.